PC users who can handle the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Out Live will feature Peter Cohen from iMore and also the iTunes guy himself, Kirk McElhern, who will tell us about his experiences with an Apple Watch after just three hours on the Tech Night Out Live. We're joined this week by Peter Cohen from iMore. He also works weekends at a genuine authorized retailer for Apple in Massachusetts. Because we know some of our listeners have come up there and asked them for different things. But I'm going to ask you, as someone who works for an independent retailer, will you ever get a chance to sell Apple Watches over there? That's a good question. Right now, nobody but the Apple Store and a few select boutiques worldwide sell the Apple Watch. So we're in pretty good company uh, in terms of not being able to sell it. So, you know, if we can, then great. If not, well, there's other Apple products that we can sell. Let me ask you about another Apple issue that's come up last couple of weeks. Theories about the next Apple TV. Maybe we'll see something at the WWDC, which is coming beginning June 8th in San Francisco. So there's an article today, I'll read you the headline from one of the online publications, and I think we can speculate a lot about it. Why Apple is ripe to disrupt the TV business. So TV fans, we've talked about this a lot in the last few weeks, Peter. What do you think Apple should do to disrupt the TV business? Other than maybe get some shows off the air that we couldn't possibly care anything about. Why should it disrupt the the TV business? The key is what can Apple do to disrupt it? Well, you know, I think that's a really good question, and I'm not sure that I've really got a good answer for it, because there are a lot of barriers in Apple's way to disrupting the TV business, and the biggest one are the content providers. You know, if you take a look at the way that the Apple TV works now, the the Apple TV works very differently in the United States than it does in Canada or Europe or anywhere else in the world. Uh, There aren't nearly as many channels available, and the reason for that is because the content providers haven't worked out distribution arrangements with Apple. You know, even in areas like the United States, where you've got the widest array of content available for the the Apple TV, trying to actually get at that content um, is often dependent on some gatekeeping tool that prevents you from seeing it unless you are a cable TV subscriber or a Dish subscriber, which sort of defeats the purpose of, you know, cutting the cable, which is what many people want to do. The content providers are, um, I think, the, the number one antagonist here towards Apple truly disrupting the TV market. Now, Apple managed to make it work in music. Is the reason they can't do it with these content providers because they learned the lesson not to cede too much control? Yeah, I think that's exactly uh, what the problem is. I think that uh, the, the, the content providers saw how much money that Apple made um, in music, for one thing. And I also think that the, the the landscape of the way that we consume media has has changed very much, and it's even changed for Apple with the iTunes Store. 
You know, the iTunes store happened at a time where um, the music business was bleeding money from piracy, from Napster and from other services. And Apple presented a way of getting legitimate music relatively inexpensively and a lot more conveniently than using peer-to-peer network services uh, was or using Napster or what have you. So the the music industry, uh, you know, fell into play. Um, and Apple made a lot of money, and so, so did uh, music companies. But you fast-forward the clock to 2015, and uh, iTunes uh, revenue is on the downslope. More and more people are streaming content. And as a matter of fact, our Ali Kazmuha wrote a, a piece on this for iMore this morning, talking about this very issue, about how using music services like Spotify and you know Beats Music and so on is less about music ownership and more about just convenient streaming, about having access to anything that you might want uh, whenever you need it. And now that data streaming is, is better on mobile, it's less of an issue. Now that people have more bandwidth at home, it's less of an issue. And, and I think we're seeing some of this carry forward to, you know, streaming content uh, in video as well. You know, people are, are uh, less inclined to want to own their stuff, you know, buying movies or TV shows from iTunes, let's say, and just content to stream it. But still, the content providers and the companies that uh, have the most uh, to, to gain, like Time Warner and Comcast and Cox and these other cable companies, and uh, dish providers have the most to lose, so they are not interested in seating control. Now, one of the schemes, and I call it a scheme they're pulling, is to offer like something akin to basic cable, a small subset of channels, but stream it online. Isn't this new and flashy, for example, Sling TV from Dish Network? But as soon as you want to get a decent number of stations... You've got to buy higher tiers, shades of the regular satellite deal. Now, of course, they're also going to add the ability to get broadcast stations. Again, another tier that you pay for. So I just think it's bait and switch. Bait and switch in terms of offering a basic tier and then charging people for additional content? I think trying to make people think this is something new and different, and all it is is basically taking the same content that they offer satellite customers and stream it online and not have to worry about using up satellite capacity. Well, I, you know, I guess you're entitled to, to that opinion, Gene. I would have to disagree with you. I think that uh, uh, content is not free and that, that people should be required to pay for what they use. I'm not saying you should get free. I'm just saying that practically speaking, Sling TV is not altogether different than the cheapest satellite plan. Maybe it's a little cheaper, but by the time you option it up, there's no difference, except you're not using a dish, you're using your internet connection. Okay, so? So the question is here, what difference does it make as a practical matter? Is that going to overhaul the TV experience by just giving people a small package of the same things? And that's the question about Apple. Can Apple do something that's different or better? Well, you know, if, if I remember right, Sling TV doesn't give you access to local programming. So if you want to watch your local news or if you want to get a weather report, you know, you're kind of on your own on that one. The point is here, they're going to. They're going to. That's what the president of Dish Network says, that they will eventually have a broadcast tier when you get those stations. And that's fine. You know, the, the, people have to make a the, the, the thing about more choice out there is that consumers have to become more educated about what their um, their choices are to figure out what's best for them. It's going to work out for some people. It's not going to work out for others. But I don't see it as bait and switch at all. Well, let's just look at what happens here, which is 
What does Apple bring to the table? I can't see Apple TV, for example, being altogether different from Roku, except for possibly a nicer interface and Apple's own content and the ability to blast your local devices. But other devices kind of let you do that in different ways. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, by, by, by the same extension, uh, Roku's in the same boat as Apple is in terms of not controlling the content, just be basically being a delivery medium for the content. All right. So does that change the experience though? I think that's the big question. Does that change the experience? Does the fact that it's an Apple product change the experience? I don't see what you're getting at, Gene. No, I'm saying is here, how do any of these devices, independent of cable and satellite, really improve your experience other than to give you an alternative? That's well, what I'm trying the, to get the, the out here. That, how I, do we I, make I, it better? The, the, the fact of the matter is that the Apple TV's strength has never really been in cutting the cord, if you will, or giving you access to what's already on cable or dish. The Apple TV, the Apple TV strength has always been uh, being as part of the Apple ecosystem is giving you access to the content that you already own through iTunes. You know, because we've got people who have more than a decade's worth of content that they've purchased or downloaded from iTunes, uh, giving you access to stuff that's already in the cloud for you. So if you're, you know, an iTunes uh, in the cloud or iTunes match customer um, or Beats customer, you get access to all that stuff giving you access to what's on your computers running iTunes, whether they're PCs or Macs, giving you the ability to stream content easily from your Macintosh or your iOS device. That is, has been, and always will be the Apple TV's core strength as, you know, an Apple peripheral that's plugged into the Apple ecosystem. Everything else is secondary. We'll have a, some more secondary conversation with Peter Cohen. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> Hi, John Hubner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Hubner, and that was me in 2007. And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Hubner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Hubner, at one 800 686 2237 extension 129. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number 1 855 905 MyTV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1 855 905 MyTV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows. 
pause and rewind live TV. Even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MYTV. 1-855-905-MYTV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MYTV. 1-855-905-MYTV. Did you know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high-energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MYTV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MYTV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just 1999 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MYTV 1-855-905-MYTV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MYTV 1-855-905-MYTV We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow night owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. So let's look here at Apple TV with Peter Cohen of iMore. All right. There are rumors about a new generation Apple TV. What does Apple bring to the table? What do you think they're going to add? Well, I think that the Apple TV is in desperate need of a major overhaul. You know, we haven't seen uh, a significant change to the Apple TV in, in, a, in, a, in a few years now. And, you know, Apple is continuing to iterate the Apple TV with additional channels and additional features. But there's just a hard limit to how much it's going to be able to do given the hardware that's inside the box. The hardware that's inside the box is roughly equivalent to an iPad 2. You know, it's just not a very fast, up-to-date, modern device. But it does use the iOS, uh, iOS 8 core. Uh, you know, presumably Apple can build a lot of functionality into that by extending and 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 modifying what it's doing with 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 iOS eight. My suspicion is that Apple will produce a new box that's going to have much more up to date hardware and new capabilities. 
What those capabilities are, though, I couldn't even venture a guess. I, I uh, decided a long time ago that it's a fool's game to try to um, prognosticate what Apple's feature set for future products are when they've given absolutely no indication what they're going to do. I just wonder a little bit about this. I would have thought that Apple could have updated the internals of Apple TV before now. That's just my opinion, except that when you have more powerful internals, more powerful graphics, they support the new 4K video format. We'll see. In any case, let's move on to some other topics with Peter Cohen. There is a controversial app out there called Mac Keeper. That kind of lies a tale there when we talk about Mac Keeper. Yeah, Mac Keeper's got a long history. Um, it was developed by a uh, uh, Ukrainian company, I believe, called Zeobit, and then later sold to a company called Chromtech. And um, which, by the way, has most of the same employees. Go figure. So the the software purports to offer you all sorts of features and functionality um, that are supposed to help you. Uh, manage your Mac better, whether it's uh, clearing out uh, free space or keeping your Mac safe from viruses and malware um, or, um, you know, fixing problems before they become disasters. Nothing that MacKeeper does is anything that you can't do with on your own or using free software, but MacKeeper is designed for less experienced Mac users um, who may not have that level of sophistication, that level of user sophistication to know how to do these things. I think that the biggest problem that, that I have personally with MacKeeper is that at least based on my experience with customers in the store that I work in, MacKeeper has a tendency to destabilize the systems that it's in and cause unpredictable behavior that um, makes people think that they might have a virus or might have some other kind of problem with their machine. And crashing, like I said, stability issues, um, causing erratic behavior in web browsers and so on. And inevitably, uh, every time we remove MacKeeper, the problems dissipate. So, you know, what does that tell you about MacKeeper? Well, it tells me anyway that MacKeeper isn't very well programmed, but it also suggests that uh, the people who are installing it are probably not sophisticated enough to to know how to uninstall it easily. And that's why they come in the store and, you know, we end up charging the money to, to get the software off of there because, our, you know, obviously our time costs money too. So if, if you're not a sophisticated Mac user, I wouldn't recommend experimenting with MacKeeper. There's so, another big problem with MacKeeper, too, and that's that MacKeeper has a tendency to be very aggressive in how it advertises uh, itself. The company uses an affiliate program, apparently, and this affiliate program means that you see pop-under ads and pop-over ads and all sorts of other ads um, advertising MacKeeper, often in places where people probably shouldn't be going anyway, like pornography sites or piracy sites. And you'll get a message on your machine saying, protect your, your Mac from junk, download MacKeeper right now. And if you install MacKeeper and then try to uninstall it, you get a lot of windows in your way, um, preventing you from uninstalling it properly. And even when you do go to run the uninstaller, sometimes things don't work right. So uh, again, I, I don't think that it's a good software to use. It sounds like to me that in and of itself, it might be malware. No, it's by not way, malware. By it's, the it's, way it, it works. It's not malware. It's not malware. It's just a piece of crap. So obviously this new company hasn't really cleaned up the situation. But what about the story that there was a security flaw in MacKeeper? Well, that's another good reason to stay away from it, eh? 
Matt Keeper last week was the subject of a security bulletin from a, a, um, a security researcher who said that there is a an exploit that uh, makes it possible for um, a maliciously crafted web page to execute uh, code it, within Mac Keeper uh, that 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 could open up your machine to potential uh, what's the word I'm looking for here potential uh, hazards from the outside so. Again, it's it's something good to stay away from. All right. Now, I should tell you, in all honesty, at one time, we did take ads from MacKeeper early on. They haven't offered us the opportunity since then. We haven't taken upon ourselves to promote the availability of advertising. And after hearing this, as much as we'd like to have ad income, I don't think I'd like to have it from them. Another reason I, do, I really dislike MacKeeper is because you can't buy a perennial license uh, for it, like you can with most utility software, they charge you monthly payments uh, to use it, which just you know that's that's fine if you're using Adobe Creative Cloud or even Office 365. I, I don't think it's good for a uh, a utility. It means you pay, and you pay, and you pay forever. I know exactly. Okay, let's move on to some other topics here. Way back in the early days when I started using a Mac, it's back in the 1980s. I had worked in the office using one for a while. It was a pre-press outfit where we were doing stuff that gets things ready for the printer. And then by 1989, I realized I had to have a Mac system at home. So I assembled everything. I needed something to manage a mailing list for a publication. So I bought a program called Claris FileMaker. Now, believe it or not, FileMaker is, what, 30 years old now? Yeah, FileMaker turned 30 years uh, 30 years old uh, just this past week. FileMaker uh, is it, 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 FileMaker is an interesting story. FileMaker didn't start out as a Claris program. First of all, what was Claris? Claris was a wholly owned subsidiary of Apple, uh, Apple Computer, as they were known at the time. And Apple wanted to develop apps for its then nascent Macintosh platform. So it created a software subsidiary called Claris. Claris had all sorts of really cool apps that you could get for the Mac, like Claris Works and Claris Draw and um, Claris Homepage, uh, back when the web was still a novelty. They also had Claris Emailer. And yes. I remember that well, because I was a beta tester. And when Apple gave up on it, a lot of those developers went to Microsoft to work on the app that later became Entourage and now Outlook. That's right, yeah. So, um you know, Claris, Claris is an important footnote in Apple history. Um, ultimately, FileMaker became Claris's best-selling application, and Claris changed its name to FileMaker and uh, has made nothing but FileMaker ever since, although it's dabbled with some FileMaker Drive products like Bento, which was a uh, consumer-oriented version of, uh, of FileMaker that they've since discontinued. But FileMaker didn't even start as a Mac app. FileMaker actually started life as an MS-DOS app. Let's go back to that, okay, in our next segment. The history of FileMaker 30 years ago with Peter Cohen and Gene Steinberg on the Tech Night High Live. <laughs> Independently leading the way for the nation. Compelling talk for every political persuasion. We are GCN. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231 and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at GoBerkey.com. That's GoBerkey.com today. Can heart and body extract help with other ailments besides heart conditions, high blood pressure, clogged arteries, or unbalanced cholesterol? It did for Karen. I've been using heart and body extract for approximately two weeks. I've had an earwax buildup problem for many years, with over-the-counter stuff not working at all. I had very poor hearing due to this earwax buildup. Well, after two weeks of taking heart and body extract, my earwax buildup almost completely cleared up. Could this be the effect of better body circulation? Heart and Body Extract is an effective 100% organic nutritional supplement specially formulated to allow your body to heal itself. My hearing is almost completely back to normal. I'm amazed. Order by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. Heart and Body Extract for long and healthy life. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl. 
because you never know what's going to happen next. We're going back through time talking about FileMaker, and we've had the people from FileMaker on the show, and they're one of the few people from Apple who will come on shows like this, strangely enough. But then you're mentioning here that FileMaker didn't start on the Mac, Peter Cohen, that it actually started as an MS-DOS application, meaning on a Microsoft platform. Yeah, that's right. So um, back in the mid-80s, a company in Massachusetts called Neshoba Systems developed a a FileMaker for MS-DOS, and they were reasonably successful with it. And they developed a Macintosh version because the Mac was a new platform, and they figured that they would extend out uh, FileMaker's abilities. And FileMaker changed hands a couple of times uh, through the 80s, um, including a brief stint uh, with Microsoft but ended up back in Neshoba. And uh, ultimately, after Apple founded Claris, which we talked about in the last segment, uh, Claris acquired Neshoba and acquired FileMaker in the process. And FileMaker has been a a Claris and then uh, a FileMaker product ever since then. It has gone through a number of iterations. Obviously, there's no code, uh, I don't think, that remains from the original FileMaker or any version prior to a fairly recent build, really. FileMaker has been reinvented a number of times, but... The FileMaker name has lived on through 30 years. And uh, my first experience with FileMaker was back in the early 90s when I was doing tech support for a company that made Mac peripherals. My uh, my boss, the head of the support uh, department, had created a FileMaker database so we could easily track our calls and uh, create return authorizations so customers could send back defective equipment uh, for repair or replacement. And it was very easy to use and very easy to scale up for multiple users. So as we added more people to the department, it was easy just to plunk down a you know a Macintosh classic and uh, uh, another copy of FileMaker and get them to use the same database that the rest of us were using. It was a very nice system. And that was, uh, you know, more than 20 years ago now. That was in the early 90s. Since then, FileMaker has, again, gone through a number of iterations. But FileMaker, the company, has really kept the, the program relevant. And it has a very thriving ecosystem of developers, tens of thousands of developers who create custom solutions for it, for everything from inventory management for part suppliers to art galleries to just about anything that you can imagine. Um, There are so many uses for FileMaker, it's a little ridiculous. And in its most recent version, version 14, which was just announced uh, this past week, FileMaker gains even more enhancements, especially if you're using it with a mobile web browser, for example. Um, you know, much better uh, control of interface for a mobile web browser, much more responsive for mobile web browsers. Uh, plus, there's a mobile app that you can download for free from uh, the Mac. I mean, from the App Store for your iPhone or your iPad that'll give you access to those databases. Uh, better scripting uh, uh, automation in this new version, uh, much more powerful stuff that you can do, and uh, improved support for users on remote connections. So salespeople who are in the field who may be connected to their uh, their company through uh, some sort of virtual private network or VPN, for example, uh, won't have as hard a time reconnecting to the database now as they used to. Apple and, and FileMaker have done a really good job of, of, of keeping this program not just alive and not on life support by any stretch of the imagination, but a very thriving, relevant, uh, important application for many, many people. And it works just as well on the PC as it does on the Macintosh. It's not Mac exclusive or Mac unique. FileMaker. Do you have a use for it anymore? I know the last time I played with it was a few years ago 
when I worked with one of my clients who ran jazz concerts in Arizona, and he kept his mailing list and his transactions in FileMaker. But that was about it. You know, I mess around with it from time to time, um, and I've got a few pet projects that I use it for, but I'm not a FileMaker developer, so I don't really have a, a practical use for it or commercial use for it by any stretch. Still going strong with all the changes in the computing industry. Let's move on with so many other topics to discuss with Peter Cohen. And the one here that is interesting to me is the argument that was made about the new MacBook that had just one port, USB-C. And people were saying, big mistake. I can't do my Arnold impression very well. But you're saying in a recent piece for iMore that you're not nuts over USB 3 or Thunderbolt. You know, you kind of like USB-C. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, USB-C is USB 3.1. It's the latest iteration of, of the USB interface. Um, and it's improved over U previous iterations of USB a great deal because the connector is reversible. It's much smaller. Um, so it, it fixes what's been wrong with USB uh, for many years now. What's more, it offers up to 10 gigabits per second uh, data transfer speed. And that's the same speed as Thunderbolt, the original Thunderbolt that's been uh, on Macs for uh, a while now. And if you've ever used Thunderbolt for any kind of uh, disk I.O., if you're, you know, doing maybe a RAID system or, uh, you know, just a, a hard drive, you know Thunderbolt is a lot faster uh, than USB has been. Um, so I'm looking forward to, to more USB-C drives coming out with better performance than the USB drives that we've seen before. That's my main reason for, for, for liking USB-C. And I don't see USB-C replacing Thunderbolt um, on, on currently shipping Macs, but I'll get to that in a minute. The reason why I've got kind of a bone to pick with Thunderbolt is because it doesn't matter what computer I use, and it doesn't matter what cable or peripheral I use, but Thunderbolt and even the, the old mini DisplayPort cables, which use the same cable design, have a tendency to get loose and wiggle about in their sockets a little bit, and that breaks a connection. There's nothing more frustrating than actually trying to run a, uh, a utility or some sort of operation that requires continuous access to a peripheral, like um, any kind of large data transfer or backup or what have you, um, and having it suddenly knocked offline because your Mac, your, your Mac laptop might get moved a quarter of an inch to the right, or uh, somebody breathes on the cable funny, but that's exactly what happens uh, to me with Thunderbolt and also with Mini DisplayPort over and over and over again. That's so that, nasty, especially if you're copying files over. That could cause directory damage to the drive. And I'm not, I, I know that my problem isn't unique. If you actually Google uh, Thunderbolt loose cable, you'll get thousands upon thousands of hits, including many uh, threads in Apple's own discussion forums uh, from people reporting similar issues. So I know it's not just me um, that, that is having this particular problem. So I don't think it's anything specific to a particular Mac model or a particular cable type or a particular peripheral. I just think that there's something innate uh, in the design that makes um, Thunderbolt connectivity somewhat problematic for some users. Doesn't happen with everyone. Doesn't happen with everyone. Don't let me I'll let you think it does. But uh, um, it, when it when it happens, it it can be a real problem for people. And I don't like it when it does. So it, you know, is if, it the question here of the fit of the cable, the way it's designed, that makes it so easy to come out? 
I think because the problem has existed since the mini DisplayPort days, which precede Thunderbolt, my suspicion is it's something innate to the design of the cable and the, um, uh, the or the cable interface itself, the the trapezoidal interface that's uh, that's used for for Thunderbolt. All right. What about USB three? Well, USB three is fine. USB three point one and USB C they are downwardly compatible with USB. Uh, USB uh, has some inherent limitations compared to Thunderbolt that don't make it useful for certain um, uh, for 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 certain uh, uh, operations, or nearly as efficient as Thunderbolt, I should say, for certain operations. But uh, it's good enough for the vast majority of consumers, and the vast majority of people out there are not going to see any innate benefit for Thunderbolt over USB. So uh, you know, if if Apple can. Uh, replace the USB 3 ports on current Macs with USB-C ones. They can, you know, potentially make those Macs thinner and uh, and more elegant or build more features into them. I don't think we're going to see Thunderbolt disappear from pro-level Macs anytime soon, um, uh, especially because uh, uh, Thunderbolt 3 is going to be coming down the pipeline fairly soon, thanks to Intel, because Intel's new Skylake processors later... Let's go into what Thunderbolt 3 might be like we'll go back to USB-C and more on the Tech Night on Live. Not just an alternative to the mainstream media. We're the premier independent talk radio network. We are GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also print catalogs. Convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com you pick up the receiver with your heart racing and sweat dripping from your forehead. You finally muster the courage to dial the number to call into your favorite talk radio show. It rings once, twice, and then... Hello, it's GCN. What's your name and the state you're calling from? Surprised you got through, you squeak out. Jason from Minnesota. Please hold. As you patiently wait for your turn, you begin to daydream about being a famous talk radio host and what it would be like to have your own show. Jason from Minnesota, you're up. Millions of loyal listeners worldwide waiting to call and talk to you. Caller, are you there? Cheering crowds surround you, calling out your name. Going once, twice. Okay, we gotta move on to the next caller. You blew it. Huh? Wait, no! Interact with the hosts you're listening to right now online at GCNlive.com. Click on the community link. Engage with other listeners. Ask questions. Start debates. Don't agree with a host? Let them know. Be a part of the community at GCNlive.com. 
Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. know what's going to happen next? Well, here's the Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg. Peter Cohen, the Mac guy over at iMore at iMore.com. Lots of fascinating stuff there. Reminding his library of columns for topics, talking about USB-C for general purpose use. Very good. Obviously, you don't have some of the problems you have with Thunderbolt. Of course, Thunderbolt is also expensive. The circuitry for the cables and everything is expensive. But now there's a Thunderbolt 3. What's that about? Thunderbolt 3 is coming later this year with the introduction of Skylake, which is the new um, processor from Intel uh, that will uh, eventually replace Broadwell, the processor that Ma- that Apple just started using in the new Macs. Uh, the, the 13-inch MacBook Pro and uh, the new MacBook are the first two machines to get Broadwell. So even though Skylake processors are coming out later this year, that doesn't necessarily indicate that Apple is going to introduce Skylake processors later this year. That may, in fact, not come for for some time, you know, depending on what Apple really uh, needs from Skylake. But uh, Skylake processors uh, will have Thunderbolt 3. So eventually when they get here on the Mac, we will be seeing Thunderbolt 3, which has twice again the performance or twice again the, the bandwidth as current Thunderbolt. So Thunderbolt, the original Thunderbolt was 10 gigabits per second, which is 
very fast, fast enough to drive an external display, fast enough to uh, use with a very fast uh, hard disk drive-based RAID system, for example, or an SSD RAID system, uh, and see really great performance. Thunderbolt 2 doubled it to 20 gigabits per second. Uh, and we're seeing some phenomenally fast systems, especially systems for digital video editing, digital, large digital files, uh, photography, uh, artwork, and so on, uh, go really fast over uh, Thunderbolt 2 systems. And you can run 4K monitors off of Thunderbolt uh, 2 systems as well. Thunderbolt 3 will double that again to 40 gigabits per second, which is enough bandwidth to drive 5K monitors like we see on the iMac 5K uh, version. Um, so that, that's very exciting stuff and stuff that we should be looking for starting later this year. Thunderbolt 3. Now, the other question I have of you is we look at USB-C. It's reversible. And then we look at Apple's lightning port, which is reversible. Externally, they look kind of similar, don't they? Well, they, they do, but it's a case of parallel evolution rather than, um, I think, uh, USB parroting what Apple's doing with lightning. There are just only so many ways that you can make a cable that is reversible. And uh, based on some of the other design parameters that were set out with USB-C, that, that's, that's what they came up with. So by the same token, on the nature of that, does that mean that maybe Apple might consider switching to a more universal standard for charging and connectivity? Of course, those who've invested a lot of money in lightning cable development aren't going to like it, but... I don't see Apple switching away from Lightning anytime soon. I don't think it's something to worry about. USB-C. Do you have a MacBook, the new one? I do not. I've played with one, but I don't own one. I would like to. I would like to. I would like very much to have one in time for my trip to WWDC next month, but I, I fear that I will not. The arguments made about the MacBook, the biggest one being the single port. The second one using that low-power Intel Core M chip. What do you say to people who have that argument? Just get something else? Uh, my, my, what I say to them, what I have said to them a number of times now, is that it's too bad that Apple discontinued the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro and put a gun to your head to make you buy the new MacBook. Yeah, you know, Apple makes different products for different customers. The MacBook is designed uh, to appeal to a very different customer than the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro too do. Um, it's one of the best ways that Apple can try to build a new market for its computers is by appealing to a new customer. And that's exactly what the MacBook does. Also, I think more and more people these days want something that's very compact. And also, they don't have the need to attach all sorts of devices. Well, that's exactly what Tim Cook said when he introduced the MacBook and talked about it um, at the uh, uh, last call that uh, that uh, that Apple made with financial analysts, you know, he said, "Look, the MacBook is the future of the of the of the laptop." And when he introduced the MacBook, he said, "You know, we live in a wireless world. People uh, uh, want wireless devices. They don't want to connect a lot of cables to their computers." And I think he's absolutely right. I, I, I've heard a, I've heard complaints from from users saying, "Well, there's no way to to." Uh, connect my legacy peripheral to a MacBook. Well, you know, then use a different Macintosh. Uh, you know, I have to use this extraordinary dongle to get these three devices to work together and to charge. Well, get a different MacBook. The MacBook is clearly not for you. The MacBook is not a power user machine. It has a Core M processor, which is, uh, you know, by its very nature, a low power processor that's, that's not designed for heavy duty use. 
Um, it's the first Macintosh that we've ever seen that has a Core M processor. This is not uh, a processor type that Apple has typically used in the past. In fact, Apple has, if anything, overpowered its Mac laptops over the years. Um, you know, it's been a number of years since we've seen anything less than a uh, Intel Core i5 processor, even in the MacBook Air. So Apple has set up the expectation for both the MacBook Air and the Retina MacBook Pro to be a power system uh, in many ways, in terms of what it can do, in terms of its general computing capabilities. That's not the case with the MacBook. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a horse of a different color. Uh, you know, it's got a very different uh, industrial design. Its its design is a little bit more fetishistic. It's a little bit more like the iPad or the Apple Watch or the iPhone, you know, in terms of you're being able to get it in different colors. Colors, by the way, to match those other devices. Um, but, you know, it's 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 not designed to be a repairable system. It's not designed to be an upgradable system. You get 8 gigs of, of RAM, a 1.1 a gigahertz processor, although you can order a faster one if you want, 256 gigs of storage capacity. Um, and if that's insufficient, then you need to look at another machine. But where the MacBook, I think, really shines is in a lightweight, versatile, general-purpose machine that's great for somebody who needs to travel um, or wants to be able to compute on the go um, and, and wants a, a smaller package than what they can get, uh, something a little less obtrusive, um, and something outfitted with all the latest technology. You know, it's got a force-touch trackpad that's uh, unique, except for the new 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro. It's got a keyboard that's unique, um, and it, it's, it's got this gorgeous Retina display uh, that, uh, that lets you see a very high resolution in only 12 inches. Also, I think when people are looking at something really slim and they're looking at an iPad, but they want something with more computing power, more that operates like a traditional computer rather than maybe a scaled-up iPhone or something. This is the obvious step to go to. This is the obvious step to go to, and in fact, that's a um, that's a a a, 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 a um, an argument that my my colleague Renee Ritchie at iMore has made that this is in fact the iPad Pro, if you will. You know, this is a, a machine capable of doing pro work um, in a different way that you can do on an iPad, obviously, but at barely two pounds. Um, you know, it, it feels like little more than an iPad. So then does that mean there will be no iPad Pro or will Apple still possibly be producing a larger iPad? Well, I've said it before and I'll say it again, that if Apple could possibly conceive of any design of its product, chances are that it's happened, at least on paper, if not, you know, in prototype phase. Um, so is there an iPad Pro out there in Cupertino someplace? Of that, I have no doubt. You know, it would not make sense for Apple to, um, to, to not develop new iPad products. Will that product see the light of day? I have no idea. And I couldn't care less at this point. You know, I... The bottom line is you can only base your decision on what to get um, or how to spend your money on what's currently available. Um, trying to play the waiting game or trying to figure out what Apple's up to six months, 12 months down the road, um, you're going to come out disappointed one way or the other. So base your buying decisions on what you can get and what your needs are, not what you think might be coming. Otherwise, you'll never buy anything. Otherwise, you'll never buy anything. That's right. Okay. A key point here, though, iPad sales continue to decline across the board with tablets. Is this meaning that Apple is reaching the end in terms of growth of the iPad and that future sales will be more focused on replacements? 
I don't think so. I think Apple's got a lot of growth potential for the iPad, depending on how they develop the market. I think that there are different markets that Apple can appeal to. Uh, you know, China is a great example. India is another great example. Um, as far as as the iPad is concerned, you know, the the ironic thing is, if this were any company beside Apple, um, and if this were any product besides the iPad, people would still be very happy with. With, with how the iPad is doing. You know, the, iP- the iPad makes Apple billions of dollars every year. It's not a question of Apple losing money on the iPad. Let's get that uh, very clear. Apple is still making lots of money on the iPad. They're just not making as much money as they were a year ago. Let's do our break and continue this. We have Peter Cohen of iMore. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. Hi, this is Larry Smith. Sometimes bad things happen to good people, like when the jeweler ruined my ring and wouldn't do anything about it. But when my Legal Shield attorney called him and told him what my rights were, I received a check for over $2,100. Worry less and live more with lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. Again, 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. You're fired. According to the Small Business Administration, 75% of small businesses plan to eliminate jobs or reduce workers' hours to part-time. You're You're fired. fired. According to Gallup, the unemployment rate recently jumped to nearly 9%, and the underemployment rate hit a staggering 17.9%. You're You're fired. fired. One out of three young adults and one out of two recent college graduates are underemployed. Hello, I'm Keith Abel, a pharmacist and a home business entrepreneur. In 2011, I became one of those statistics myself. Instead of looking for another job in corporate America, I joined Dr. Joel Wallet, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. We're creating steady incomes for ourselves and would like to show you how to do the same. If you want to supplement your current income, replace your income, so you don't have to become one of the statistics, then give me a call toll-free at 866-257-3105, 866-257-3105. You're fired. Don't wait till you hear those words. Start creating an extra income today, 866-257-3105. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Peter Cohen of iMore is with us. We're talking about Apple and the iPad. What about the deal with IBM? Does that ultimately also add a lot of iPad sales? 
I don't know that it's going to add a lot of a lot of iPad sales, but it's uh, certainly enabling Apple to appeal to a different market segment than it's uh, than it's been able to appeal to before, um, at least in a much more meaningful way. And by that, I mean the uh, the enterprise market. You know, having IBM in its corner developing custom solutions for the iPad uh, enables a lot more enterprise users to depend on the iPad than they could before. And sure, that's going to translate into into sales of the iPad, but not necessarily meaningful market share differentiation for the iPad. So it's not going to be like suddenly each quarter, IBM will sell five or 10 million iPads. It may be a few hundred thousand though. Yeah, exactly. Also, it gets to be this, the more these devices appear in the business world, more people decide maybe we'll take them home. But the other question I have about iPad is, do you think that maybe Apple could add a few things there that maybe would help it be more productive. I'm talking about a more traditional multitasking system when you're running multiple apps, multiple documents. Buy a Mac. You don't think they'll do it on an iPad? I don't know. I mean, you know, we've, we, we, we never used to think that Apple would do a, an exposed file system on, on the, uh, uh, the iPad. And up until iOS 8, that was true. But with iCloud Drive, you know, Apple provided a way of actually seeing files. It's not the same as having a true file system, but it's certainly... Um, a uh, an interesting and important change that gave users what they had been requesting without giving them the feature that they specifically asked for, which is kind of an Apple way of doing things. So, you know, will multitasking come to the iPad in, in the way that you've described? Possibly, but maybe not like you think it will. Of course, that's the thing, too. People ask Apple to do something, and they decide the way in which that feature will be implemented if it's actually added. That's right. All right, let's move on here with other topics. With regard to the experience of OS X Yosemite, and the latest stats I indicate, I read indicate the adoption rate is about 60 or 65% of the Mac user base. It's pretty good ahead of the previous release. But a number of reports about bugs. Okay, lingering bugs still not fixed. What's your take on that? Well, the thing that's bothered me the most has been networking-related issues. Um, speaking as a user, I'm constantly confounded and frustrated by problems uh, with my Mac not waking from sleep properly and Wi-Fi not necessarily correcting the way that, connecting the way that it's supposed to or devices on my network getting arbitrarily renamed, like my Apple TV will suddenly get a parenthetical 2 or 3 next to its name for no apparent reason. Um, and according to a, a very prominent developer in the Apple community, a guy named Craig Hockenberry, uh, the problem for, a, uh, or a lot of this problem, seems to reside at the feet of a program and a, a, uh, a low-level system tool called Discovery D, which was implemented in Yosemite. Uh, it replaces older technology that had been around for quite some time, really mature technology that worked well called MDNS Responder. And Discovery D is, is, is part of the foundational structure of OS X's continuity capabilities, which was a suite of new functionality that Apple introduced with, with Yosemite that really makes workflow seamless between iOS 8 and Yosemite. So if you're looking at a web page on your Mac, you can go to your phone and just open Safari and blam, it's there. If you're working on an email on your iPad and suddenly go to your Mac, as soon as you open your email program, it's there. If you want to make a phone call on your computer, you can do that if your iPhone is in re within range. If you want to send text messages to people who don't use iMessage, you can do that on your Mac now. 
uh, if you've got iOS 8 running on your phone and they're both connected using this this continuity uh, technology. It, it, it makes a lot of things a lot easier to use, and it's a foundational technology that helps Apple differentiate itself from other offerings. And it really improves, I think, the value proposition for people who own both an iOS 8 device like an iPhone or an iPad and a Macintosh running Yosemite. So it's something that's here to stay. But unfortunately, it's just not as mature as we would like it to be. So handoff stops working every so often on my Mac, and I can't figure out why, and I need to restart before it will. Like I said, these other problems happen. My Mac will take forever to wake from sleep, or I'll get garbage on the screen, or uh, uh, my devices will get renamed. All these things seem to point to problems with um, Yosemite's uh, networking changes. And they're problems that have existed since the early um, uh, developer betas, and they're problems that have never really been properly responded to by Apple. Now, that's the thing that I'm concerned about here. The fact that we have lingering problems with OS X Yosemite. Apple had this public beta program where over a million Mac users had a chance to get these preview releases. As they've done these maintenance updates, they open them up to the public beta testers. All these people are working. I'm sure some of them are reporting these problems and feedback. What's the problem at Apple? That is a very good question. And the, the question remains as to whether or not Apple's going to resolve this with Yosemite or if they're going to wait until 10.11 um, comes out uh, before they start fixing this stuff. We'll see. What about iOS 8? Do you think it has a lot of existing problems that haven't been fixed? Well, sure. I mean, you know, at any given time in any operating system or major application, there are going to be hundreds, if not thousands of open bug reports that uh, uh, are, are minor and major. Uh, you know, that's just a fact of life in software development. Software has bugs. There's no such thing as bug-free software. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, that's as true as it is on OS X as it is anywhere else. So iOS 8 does have some issues that um, seem to be consistent and reproducible, but uh, Apple has also been improving them. And Apple has been improving Yosemite as well. Every build of Yosemite gets more and more dependable and more and more reliable. And I have no compunction about recommending Yosemite to people who are looking for these new features. Uh, it's just, you know, a warning that, that they may run into some poten potential difficulty. Well, let's hope iOS 9 and OS 10.11 are better. There are happy reports that Apple is going to do kind of a catch-up release with this. But then there are reports that Apple is going to add magnificent new technologies or something. Of course, we look at the press release for WWDC, where Phil Schiller says they can't wait to show all the great new technologies. So what is the truth? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we will find out in June, uh, you know, at WWDC, because that's going to set the framework for... Uh, potentially for new products. You know, WWDC last year was a bust when it came to new hardware, and that's not unique at all. You know, Apple has taken years off, but I don't think they will this year. Um, and, uh, you know, WWDC will uh, serve as the sounding board for developers to get their first look um, and their first uh, uh, level of familiarity with uh, the technology that Apple has planned for both iOS and OS X later this year. I'm not telling any tales out of school. Apple said a number of years ago, I think back in 2011, uh, that it had migrated to an annual release schedule. 
um, for uh, for for new operating system software. So so this is a, a dependable schedule that, that that we can set our clocks to. You know, sometime in September or October, there'll be new releases of iOS and uh, and OS ten to download and install on our devices. And obviously, we don't know to what degree they'll add new features or just fix the stuff that's in the older release. It's just going to be out every year. Now, this is not unusual, more frequent releases like that. With Windows 10, supposedly after that's going to be ongoing updates. It's not going to be like a Windows 11 or a Windows 12. It just will be continual feature and bug fix updates. Ah, yes, yes. You know, so maybe that's why uh, why Microsoft switched away from Windows 9 and uh, went to Windows 10. So it could be on some kind of parity with Apple in terms of naming convention for its operating system. Well, they're also stealing virtual desktops from Apple in that release. There are things there that have similarities. It looks to me that Windows 10 is a mixture of Restoring the stuff from Windows 7 that they killed in Windows 8, like the traditional start menu. Then adding a few window management things that you have in OS 10 plus some other stuff. But that's catch-up. That's not innovation. But then what do I know? My favorite. St- Let me just break. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. More to come with Peter Cohen of My More. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw-free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document? Worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average over 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Why do over 50% of North Americans suffer from some form of chronic ailment? Could it be due to a toxic overload? 
It's time to take back your life. Get the lead out as well as the cadmium, mercury, and calcium. Extendivite is a garlic cayenne supplement with five other herbs that acts like a natural draino, cleaning out the stored toxins, restoring your energy and youthfulness that we've lost. If you would like to live your life free of sickness, pain, or fear, then Extendivite is for you. Available in either capsules or liquid, you too can see why Extendivite is the number one heart drop available. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's 1-877-928-8822. Or visit our website at heartdrop.com. Extend your life with Extendivite. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just $19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV We'd like to hear from you. If you have any thoughts or comments about the Tech Night Owl Live, please get in touch at news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. Looking for past episodes? We've got hundreds at technightowl.com slash radio. That's technightowl.com slash radio. Or subscribe on iTunes. One more segment with Peter Cohen of iMore. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Tech Night Out Live. Peter, you want to comment about Windows 10 and Microsoft? Not really. I'm done. Enough of then. You're not going to install a copy of Windows 10, I take it. I already have Windows 10 installed on my machine. I've been using the preview for months, you, you know, inside of a virtual environment, of course, you know, so I can easily nuke it if I need to. I think Windows 10 is a tremendous improvement um, over Windows uh uh, Windows 8.1, and uh, I, I look forward to its release, and I look forward to a lot of the the, the stuff that, uh, that that Microsoft is doing. I'm also using the preview of uh, Microsoft Office for the Macintosh Office 2016. I think it's a fantastic um, uh, uh, release. You know, I, I don't really have a lot of bad things to say about Windows, truthfully. Um, I think Satya Nadella, who's running the company now, uh, has a much more sophisticated uh, uh, view of Microsoft's role uh, in computing today than his predecessor did. And I'm really glad to see him doing a lot of the stuff that he's doing. But, you know, I remember a number of years ago, Steve Jobs kind of exasperated, telling a crowd at, at, at Macworld Expo that, that in order for us to succeed, Microsoft does not have to fail. I really took that message to heart at the time and, and feel that way still. And I think that, that antagonism directed at Microsoft um, is like antagonism directed at Apple or antagonism directed at the uh, San Jose Sharks if you are a, uh, a Chicago Blackhawks fan. It's silly tribalism. Get over it. 
Yeah, it does get ridiculous when you hear these Mac versus PC arguments, except to say that Apple is still growing the Mac platform. PC sales are declining. That's it for that. Let's move to one more topic. Now, there's a comment of from the CEO of Fiat Chrysler. Isn't it strange how an American company is now an Italian auto company? About visiting Tesla and Apple... And the Fiat CEO is saying Apple is interested in the intervention in the car. Now, some people are saying Apple is working on a car. Others saying that Apple just wants to expand things like CarPlay. What do you think? Well, yeah. I, you know, we've heard this rumor over and over again that Apple is working on its own car. And people have sort of pointed to indirect evidence to suggest that, like Apple poaching uh, engineers from Tesla. Um which I think probably has more to do with battery technology than it does with anything else. But uh, that's just me. Or, you know, seeing uh, Apple-owned vehicles driving around with strange apparatuses on them. Again, I don't think there's anything that you can read into that. Apple's got a multi-billion dollar R&D budget. God knows what they're working on. The, the, The fact of the matter is, I don't think that the automotive industry is is a place where it makes any sense for Apple to compete because it's a, it's a heavy machine industry. You know, it's not an area that Apple particularly excels at. Apple outsources a lot of its own, or um, the vast majority, actually, all of its manufacturing uh, to subcontractors, right? You know, Foxconn, of course, Hanhai Precision uh, Company in, in, uh, uh, in China is, is Apple's famous uh, fabricator. They make um, many of Apple's products. Apple has thousands thousands of companies worldwide that manufacture uh, components um, and and parts for its uh, devices. And these aren't Apple-owned companies. These are independently-owned companies that Apple contracts with for this stuff. And Apple shops around those contracts to different companies all the time to try to get the best price or uh, the best quality, depending on what they need. So it just doesn't make sense to me that Apple would, would build a car just taking on face value what the, C, the, the Fiat CEO said, intervention in the car suggests to me that Apple is continuing uh, to refine, improve, and expand what it can do with CarPlay. And indeed, you don't really even need CarPlay in your car to get a lot out of the experience if you've got Bluetooth already, as I do in mine. You know, I added a Bluetooth radio to my 10-year-old car, and uh, that makes it possible for me to uh, send messages, receive messages, have them read to me by Siri, change playlists, get directions, all without ever taking my hands off the steering wheel, all without ever taking my eyes off the road. I can have a meaningful conversation with the iOS device in my car um, and have it respond back. CarPlay is an extension of that. CarPlay uh, enables uh, the driver and the other occupants in the car to use their in-dash navigation or uh, control systems to interact with the phone as well. I don't necessarily see taking the driver's attention away from the road as uh, a good thing, but I understand why it's there, and I understand how CarPlay extends this this metaphor outward. But I think we're probably going to see more uh, uh, sophisticated uh, CarPlay integration happen over time in a more platform agnostic way. Take a look at the recent comment from the Ford CEO who said that um, he doesn't want uh, his customer's choice of a $200 smartphone uh, determining what they're going to spend on a $40,000 car. 
uh, or which forty thousand dollar car they're going to spend, they're, they're they're going to get. So, in other words, CarPlay is fine, but we're not going to put all of our eggs in one basket. We're going to have an open, extensible solution that's going to enable our customers to use more than one device in it. I think that's very smart. I think that's very smart for all the car makers to do. With regard to Ford, of course, they had my Ford Touch using technology from Microsoft. It was an unholy disaster. It was a key reason they got bad ratings from the J.D. Powers surveys. It probably hurt sales. So allowing other people to do it, that makes sense. For sure, especially in Ford's case. I mean, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Indeed, that's correct. Just letting the other companies do it. And I see automakers like the new Kia Optima 2016. It will support both Android and Apple's CarPlay. So whatever device you have, cool, we don't care. Hook it up, we'll support it. Exactly. And that's the smart way to go, I think, for the car makers anyway. Don't get involved in the platform wars because when you do, you're always going to lose. That's exactly right, Gene. Something they learn. All right. One final thing. Apple Watch. You have one? Not yet. Mine's still on order. Hasn't shipped yet. But your publication did have a review of it. What did they conclude? Well, that's 20,000 words. Um, so uh, uh, carrying a, a, a decisive con- conclusion is, is, is probably beyond the scope of what I can do. Uh, what I can tell you is this. The, the Apple Watch is, is a 1.0 device. Uh, you know, people who are getting it now are early adopters, and uh, they're understanding what the limitations of the device are, but truly uh, what a transformational device it can be as well. Um, and a lot of what you're going to get out of the Apple Watch um, depends on what you get into it or what you put into it if, or what your expectations are of it, really. Um, as a communications tool that's unique, um, that, that enables you to communicate in meaningful ways with other people in w- without having to resort to pulling your phone out of your pocket or opening your laptop, I think the Apple Watch is a big success. Uh, the Apple Watch is a terrific device for athletes or uh, you know people who are looking to track physical activity. Uh, the Apple Watch um, is, is, is also improving in leaps and bounds as a device that gives you meaningful information from other applications. But Watch OS, the operating system that runs on the watch, is still in a very nascent stage. Hey, we um, got to wrap up now, Peter. Can you tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff? Sure. They can find uh, my stuff on imore.com and on the social things at Flarg, F-L-A-R-G-H. Peter Cohen, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks, Gene. We are the premier independent talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. G-C-N. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners. 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 
365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. From the makers of Block It Pocket, we bring you a serious message about the health risks associated with cell phones and wireless devices. Studies have shown that long-term exposure can contribute to an assortment of health risks. Block It Pocket offers you two new products designed to help alleviate your concerns. See these two remarkable products at BlockItPocket.com. Call 888-315-9618. Free shipping to the lower 48. BlockItPocket.com. Enhancing health and privacy. How many good people procrastinate? When was the last time you updated your last will and testament, your living will, and your health care power of attorney? If you could get these documents included with your Legal Shield membership for no additional charge, wouldn't it just make sense to have the peace of mind of owning a Legal Shield membership? Worry less and live more with lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com or call 855-340-SAVE. That's 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Did you know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high-energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. Hi, John Huebner from Midas Resources. Are you tired of watching your hard-earned assets dwindle away? As government spending is out of hand and the Federal Reserve is creating in excess of $20 billion a week, are you tired of stockbrokers gambling away your hard-earned money? Is this market a setup for a crash greater than 1987? Too many of today's policies resemble those that led to the collapse of 1929. This is John Huebner, and that was me in 2007. And we all know what happened when the subprime credit bubble burst. By March 2009, the dollar lost 50% of its value. The entire U.S. banking system was on the verge of collapsing. Like all financial problems of the past, is history about to repeat itself? Call me, John Huebner, at 1-800-686-2237, extension 129, before it's too late to protect yourself. Will the oncoming catastrophe take all private IRAs, 401ks with it? There is a way to protect your hard-earned assets. Call me, John Huebner, at 1-800-686-2237. 2237 extension 129. What's going to happen next? You never know when you're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. Well, he's wearing a watch, Kirk McElhern, Macworld's iTunes guy. How could you have thunk it? Or something ungrammatical like that. So when did you get the watch? Tell us about the marvelous unpacking experience and how does it feel to be the owner of an Apple watch? I think I'm overdoing it. I think you are. I've had the watch for about three hours, so everything I'm going to say in the next hour on the show 
is clearly based on being a clueless newbie with the Apple Watch. This said, for the first time in a very long time, I read through the entire user manual. One of the first things I noticed after I unpacked it, of course, is that the Apple Watch is a totally new interface concept. And it's not something that you can really understand out of the box without reading at least some things about it. You've got swipes up and you've got swipes sideways. You've got long presses. You've got two buttons on the side, one of which turns. That's, a, that's quite a combination of elements to control the interface. It didn't take long to really understand what was going on, but I do go into apps and I'm not really sure what to do sometimes. All right. You said that you read the manual. What manual do they provide? Well, they don't provide anything with... There's, there's a little... The, the Apple Watch comes in a box that's about 16, 18 inches long and then about three inches by three inches. It's very long. The, the watch is, is laid flat inside the box. Um, the wa Inside this cardboard box, which is the same kind of cardboard that Apple uses for laptops and iPads and all that, right? Inside that is a long plastic box where, which holds the watch. And below that is the space for the charger and the cable and all that. I got a watch with a sport band, so the band is on the watch, but the third part... The one that you switch to, the one that you exchange to go from the medium large to the small medium band is also in this little sort of paper folder. The entire package is extremely heavy. I was very surprised. And in particular, the plastic box that the watch is in is very heavy. It's an awful lot of wasted plastic in there. So there's a little folder that basically shows you how to put the band on because you know the sport band with the clasp and the thing that goes through and under is actually quite unique. I've never seen a watch band like that. But I went to Apple's website and I downloaded the Apple Watch user guide, um, which is a, let's see, 95-page PDF. Now, I didn't read the whole thing because at the end, you've got um, 15 pages of safety handling and support. So it tells how to restart, restore, and it's all the regulatory compliance statements and things like that. But I did read most of the rest of it. And, wow. and I felt I needed to. I felt that out of the box, I wouldn't be able to figure this out right away. Now, some of the reviews have indicated that it takes a bit of a learning curve. I know one, I think it was the New York Times, but probably several, saying it takes several days to a week to become accustomed to the new stuff. I would definitely agree with that. Again, I'm saying this after three hours, but I'm also saying this after having read an awful lot of articles and reviews about the watch being aware of what it can do, and, as I said, reading the manual. So, you know, I, I'm one of these people, I, I do this for a living, so I can probably grasp the basic concepts pretty quickly, but I think it is going to take a week to realize exactly how to use it, when to use it, what to do with it. Um, I've started by being very parsimonious in notifications, because, so for me, the watch is basically three things. One, a timekeeping device. Now, I should say that I haven't worn a physical watch in at least 10 years. So this is a big change to have something on my wrist. The second usage for me is as a notification device. So if I get a, a phone call, a text message, if I get a VIP email, because I have mail set on OS X to only notify me for VIPs, and the third usage for me is the fitness tracker. So 
my goal with this to start is to keep it as minimal as possible. So I'm getting notifications for VIP emails, text messages, phone calls, Twitter replies, and that's about it right now. Calendar notifications as well. Is um, it but that- possible here, Kirk, that the default settings give people too much information and that's a big problem? They do. All of the notifications are on um, by default. Two things happen by default. First, every app that you have on your iPhone that has an Apple Watch I guess the correct term would be module. Every app gets copied to the watch. So you have to remove them if you don't want them. And second, every app is turned on for notifications. So you do need to spend a little bit of time um, sorting out what you want. Now, you do this in the Apple Watch app on your iPhone. You don't do too much of this on the watch. And that's a good thing because the watch isn't really designed for, you know, the size of the display makes it a little bit difficult to, to, to change an awful lot of things. There are a number of settings you can change in the watch. I've actually only looked at the settings app a little bit on the watch. So it's entirely possible that you can do the same sort of thing. Let me see if I can find that now. So let's see. I do that. And the settings app. We're talking about spontaneous programming here. As we speak, he is taking his Apple Watch and doing things. There is no notification setting. Let's see. No, there are no notifications setting on the watch. So it so, has to which, be done which, here. A lot of the key settings should be done and can only be done on your iPhone. And it makes sense because it has to have the iPhone to work. Um, and the iPhone interface is much better for anything other than a couple of lines of text or a graphical icon such as a watch or you know a notification that's very simple. All right. Now, is this more or less than you expected? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Really, I, I unboxed it, set it up, and then since I had been waiting for the US the, the UPS guy and I didn't walk, I, I try to walk on my treadmill a half hour a day. Since I was waiting um, for him, I went to walk on my treadmill afterwards. Um, and I've been futzing around with it for about the past hour or so. Is it more or less, it's sort of what I expected? Again, having read an awful lot about it, I'm not really surprised by anything because everyone has written about everything it does. Um, Here's here's one thing that did surprise me. The third-party apps that I do have on the watch are pretty bad. Um, And it's not necessarily the fault of the apps. It's the fact that there's so little you can do on the watch. Um, the display is very small. So like Twitterific, which is the Twitter app that I use on my iPhone, it's really not very useful on, you, you can't read your Twitter timeline on a watch. It's just, it's, it doesn't work. It's too small. Um, I, I haven't tried too many. I, I started by taking off most of the third party apps. Um, so I haven't really been trying them out, but they just don't seem to be very interesting. I, I am I'm missing um, Todoist, which is the app I use to manage my um, tasks, and I use that on my phone and my Mac. Um, they don't have an Apple Watch version yet. I do have Overcast, which I use for podcasts, but I haven't started using that. The one thing I did use a lot was the music app. So as I was walking on my treadmill, I had my headphones on and I was listening to music. And what I generally do is I just shuffle all the songs on my iPhone. 
Um, so I used the music app on the watch to skip the songs I didn't want to hear, um, which, you know, generally when I'm doing, when I'm shuffling like this, I skip every second or third song. Let me just um, end, mention something here before we go on about Overcast, the podcast app. Yeah. Now, those of you who subscribe to our premium service, Tech Night Owl Plus or the Powercast Plus, where we have encrypted RSS feeds for the shows, where you have to authenticate them with your forum's username and password. Well, with Downcast, it works fine. With Overcast, it doesn't. I've written to the author of Overcast and never got a response. So I know we have people out there who use Overcast. They'd like to use it with our premium shows, but it's up to them to provide that support. We have Kirk McElhern. He's the iTunes guy. He's telling you about living with an Apple Watch for three hours. More to come on the Tech Night Out Live. Free from the shackles of corporate America, we're the place for independent thinkers. GCN. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that too in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. The Genesis Communications Network is one of America's premier broadcasters of captivating talk radio. We thank you for listening. Now, Now, just imagine, there are thousands of people who are just as passionate about radio as you are. But what you may not realize is how easy and affordable it is to advertise with us. Radio commercials for your business could be heard on hundreds of radio stations across the U.S. every day. We can help you by creating an effective radio advertising campaign for your company. From script writing to producing your commercial, just like the one you're listening to right now. No other network provides the level of customer service we do. When it comes to radio advertising, we are your one-stop shop. And no matter how big or small your business is, we can help. Email us at advertise at GCNlive.com and an experienced advertising executive will help you take the first step towards driving more customers to your business or website. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. There's a man named Dr. Joel Wallach who is anything but your typical doctor, both a veterinarian and naturopathic physician. Doc asks, why does the United States spend more money on health care by far and still rank 50th in health and longevity worldwide? He believes that people should empower themselves with a basic understanding of nutrition, take charge of their health, and attain optimal health and longevity through nutrition, not by toxic prescription drugs that lead to side effects and more toxic prescription drugs. 
Doc Wallach's message is resonating with an increasing number of Americans who are waking up to all the big government, big pharma, and big insurance manipulation of our health care system. I'm George Norrie, and I like what Doc Wallach is saying and doing to enlighten people about health care. Visit criticalhealthnews.com and listen to Dr. Wallach's Deadly Recipes Lecture. It makes a lot of sense, and I urge you to join our Critical Health News team. Go to criticalhealthnews.com. That's criticalhealthnews.com. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just $19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV What are you listening to? The Tech Night Isle Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know. Now understand here, as we're talking, Kirk is busy discovering what's happening with his Apple Watch. Now, the initial stuff, just getting it out of the box and taking off all the wrappers and stuff, is there a lot there to pull apart? There's not that much, but, you know, I was actually thinking um, as I was doing this, we don't give enough credit to the quality of Apple's packaging. You know, when when you're used to these things that come in sort of um, these blister packs and you need scissors to open them and they're really hard to open. And then when you get an Apple thing, it starts with the outside box where there's a little pull strip to, to tear the tape and then the inside box opens and then there's all these little bits of plastic that are carefully designed to cover the device and with all the little, I guess, little, what do you call it, little nibs sticking out that you pull and it's, it's such a, a good process and, and, you know, we see this with every Apple device, be it a, a watch, an iPhone, a computer or whatever. Um, the packaging is perfectly designed compared to so many other products. But there's not much there. The watch is all put together. You can take the watch out. You know, As you know, Apple products are always um, charged when you get them. So you can take the watch out and put it on. And if you once you download the app or if you've already got the app on your, your iPhone, you can start setting it up. Um, it's a watch. It's an extra half of the band, but that's only because it's the sport band. And it's the charger and cable, and that's all there is. So it's it's really a very limited unboxing experience. How long did it take you from the time you got the box, opened it, to pair the Apple Watch and get it running? It paired very quickly. Um, it paired, I mean, to get it out of the box and, and put it on took a minute or two at most because I was mostly looking very carefully at, at everything as I was doing it. To pair the watch is very quick. The, the pairing process is actually quite interesting. Um, you 
you you tap a pairing button on the watch and it displays a strange sort of I guess the only thing I can think of is it looks like a supernova. It's 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 the same idea as a QR code, but it's not. And then with the iPhone, you use the camera to to, to center that in in a box that shows up in in the Apple Watch app, um, and it reads that, and that's how it pairs with the device. It's not like Bluetooth pairing, where y- you may have to turn the device off or on and, and move it around and get closer and all that. It it's an optical pairing between the watch using the camera. You got to explain that in more detail. Okay. The, the watch displays an image on its face, and the Apple Watch app on the iPhone tells you to point the camera at the watch um, and to get it centered, and it has little guidelines. And then the iPhone app reads that image, and I guess that's what gives it some sort of unique identifier that allows the phone to pair with it. Think, so, think like a QR code, but something much more sophisticated. It doesn't look like a QR code. It really looks like a supernova, like a picture of a star um, exploding or something. Is this as idiot-proof as it can be, this process? The pairing process is. It really is. Um, all you've got to do is just basically point the camera at, at the device. It's, it's, as I said, it's far easier than pairing Bluetooth headphones. Now, for someone who is reading all these versions of what to do about the Apple Watch. What lesson can they take away from it to avoid any of the initial setup hassles? Um, well, there's not much you can do initially because, as I said, it does it copies all your apps right away, and you're going to have to remove them after that. Uh, I think the best thing to do is just let it do everything, and then take some time to go through the settings in the Apple Watch app on the iPhone, um, and then take some time to read the user manual that you can find on Apple's website. Um, It really does explain a lot of things that I wouldn't have figured out. You know, swiping long presses and all that sort of stuff. They're, They're not things that are definitely... We're used to swiping, but we're not used to swiping in two directions. And there are some apps where you can swipe up and down and sideways and get different information. Now, there is a, a tiny little, what would you call it, a, a sort of a, a scroll bar um, that displays about the top quarter of the screen on the right side that shows you when you can go up and down. But you still need to kind of pay attention and remember that this is possible. Now, with the original iPhone in 2007... We didn't know about swiping and pinch to zoom or any of that stuff. We didn't have all of those gestures with the original phone either. So we had to learn them. Yeah. So is this equivalent then to where we were in 2007? Suddenly we have a new device with new ways of doing things. Well, it's not as radical a change um, because we still are used to the swiping and, and, and the tapping, but... There are new gestures that you need to learn. Um, yeah, it, it's it's new enough that it's going to take a while to get used to not only what the watch can do for you and how, but also how you interact with it. Do you think Apple could have done anything to make it easier? I think they could have set up some sort of a, a tutorial on the watch itself. Um, you know, sometimes you, you buy a game for your iPhone and it has a walkthrough, a tutorial, maybe three or six or ten steps showing you the different things you can do. I think it would have been good to do that on the watch. Um, when you open certain apps, you get a tutorial. So the first time you open the activity app, 
uh, it walks you through what the three different rings mean. But I think there should be a, a general tutorial app for the watch to understand the types of gestures, what each button does, etc. A lesson for Apple. They're getting dinged on that by the reviewers saying, well, if we're having problems getting used to this, what about regular people who just see those cute ads on TV and they're ready to roll? Yeah, it's... I mean, Apple's in a difficult position because, first of all, it, it is a radical new device. It's something that we're not used to. Um, but second of all, they don't want to scare people away, making it sound too complicated. I would say on the complication scale, it's pretty high up. Um, I mean, it's not a computer, but still, is it more or less complicated than an iPhone? It's really hard to say. Um it's, you know, I think back to the first time I used a Newton back in the day when all of that sort of handheld stuff was new. Um, but you were tapping everything. You didn't have any options. See here, one of the things is that there are lots of options that you can access only with a long press. So this is the, the force feedback thing. You press and hold and you feel a tap. But there's nothing to indicate at any point that this uh, gesture is available. And, and I've criticized Apple in the past about other gestures. Um, I think hiding user uh, interaction features is not a good thing. And while gestures are interesting, um, if you don't, if you can't find out what the gestures are, it's not very good. It's, if you have a magic trackpad, you, you open your OS X system preferences, and each of the gestures is, is explained with a little video. And I think that's a wonderful idea. And that's not the case with the iPhone or the iPad, and it's certainly not the case with the Apple Watch. Well, I guess it's going to be a learning experience. Now, I'm hearing that one of the reasons for Apple Watches being in such short supply is that one of the major companies building them, and that being... Quanta was having problems getting up production. Well, I saw something the day that we we're recording this. I saw something today saying that it was due to a, a shortage of labor. Now, I'm not sure how reliable these rumors are, um, but it really, really is. It, it's, it, it's surprising that Apple announced this and wasn't able to deliver. It, it's interesting. I asked my USP um, delivery guy this morning. Sorry, I keep saying USP. I asked the UPS delivery guy this morning. I said, do you have a lot of them? And he said, oh, yeah. Because I think right now, um, I placed my order about seven minutes after the, the device went on sale. So when, when I got the delivery, I asked the UPS guy, I said, do you have a lot of these today? And he said, oh, yeah. Um, now, I ordered mine, I think, six, seven minutes after they went on sale. Um, and this is the second wave. So the first wave was a couple of weeks ago. What was it? April 25th or whatever the, the first day of, of delivery. And there weren't many delivered. He said he had a lot that day. Um, but I think a lot is not as many as we're seeing now. Um, because now all of a sudden this is the second wave. And I noticed on Mac rumors, they were talking about this, um, we're recording this on Friday the 15th, and I think it was on Wednesday they were saying that people were starting to get their um, shipment notices. Before we split for our break, I want to tell you about another feature of the Tech Night Owl Live. It's called Tech Night Owl Plus. Go to plus.technightowl.com. That's P-L-U-S dot for a modest monthly, annual, or five-year subscription rate 
You get the ad-free version of the show, better quality audio, all that at plus.technidol.com. Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy, is here. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Owl Live. A little right, a little left, but always independent-minded. The Genesis Communications Network, GCN. From the makers of Blocket Pocket, we bring you a serious message about the health risks associated with cell phones and wireless devices. Studies have shown that long-term exposure can contribute to an assortment of health risks. Blocket Pocket offers you two new products designed to help alleviate your concerns. See these two remarkable products at BlockItPocket.com. Call 888-315-9618. Free shipping to the lower 48. BlockItPocket.com. Enhancing health and privacy. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it lent back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Heart and Body Extract continues to receive positive testimonials from people who have experienced amazing results, like Reed. I just wanted to send you a quick but a very big thank you for Heart and Body Extract. I've been on the formula for nearly a month now, and the improvement in the circulation of my legs has been simply amazing. Reed was facing a tough choice. I was facing surgery due to the severity of 100% blocked arteries in both my legs. And my decision, waiting for surgery to say no and try heart and body extract instead, has been thankfully the right decision. And the result? I can now walk up steps without noticeable pain. Order heart and body extract at 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305. Or hbextract.com. Heart and body extract for a long and healthy life. Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Here on the Tech Night Owl Live, we have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy. He's telling you about his experiences setting up a brand new Apple Watch. And you mentioned briefly before... Just the fact that you were getting a phone call, how does that work if that's integrated with your Apple Watch? Well, it's interesting that you asked that um, because, so after we did the first segment, we took a break because you needed to do something. And I went into my bedroom to plug in the charger for the Apple Watch. And when I came back, I noticed on my phone that I had a missed call and I didn't get the notification on my watch. Now, I'm noticing that I'm not getting all my notifications on the watch. I'm noticing that the taptic thing isn't very forceful and I'm not even noticing it if I get a single tap. But this time, so what happened is it's set up to do handoffs so you can get text messages and and phone calls. The phone rang, the computer rang because it's set up for that as well. My iPad rang, my iPod touch rang and the watch went tap, 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 tap against my wrist because I have it set to silent. 
That spells to me cacophony, having all those things ring on a single phone call. Now, let me tell you something. I turned off handoff, especially when it came to the receiving a phone call. And maybe I miss a call occasionally, but I have the situation where I'm getting something on my mobile phone. It's ringing my Mac. It's ringing my wife's iPad. And I said, I don't need all this. You see, with my regular phone line, I use one of those VoIP or internet phone services. Mm -hmm. There, I have a base station with two portable extensions for it. It's all one system. It's a combination of wired handset and wireless handset. It's an AT&T model. So when the phone rings, two portaphones ring, and the base station rings. That's three sources of rings. That's enough for me. When my mobile phone rings, I could set this base station to receive Bluetooth and also integrate with a cellular system, which it doesn't work very well doing. I don't want it. I just want one phone to ring, and sometimes I just cut out the ringer on the other two because it's just very disturbing. And now if I have the Apple Watch and it's giving me taps, I might throw that thing against the wall. Well, so I have hand up set up because I like the idea that I always turn the ringer off on my iPhone. um, And I like the idea that if I'm not right next to my iPhone um, and let's say I'm in bed with my iPad, it's going to tell me I've got a call. Or if I'm on my Mac, it tells me I've got a call. But if I end up using the watch permanently, I may turn off all the other devices except for the iPhone and the watch. As long as the watch is always with me, then I don't need other devices. I don't need the other devices to ring for me. The other question is, do you need to get that call or can it go to the answering machine or to the voicemail? Well, I actually tried, you know, if you press the power button on the top of the iPhone, it sends it to voicemail. And I actually tried to do that. But you and I were talking and for whatever reason, I, I swiped the phone to answer the call instead of doing that. Um, and that's what I should have done, because it's very impolite to interrupt when you're recording a podcast with someone, right? Of course. But we understand sometimes you get an emergency call yeah. and things have to be done. But yeah. the key here is that I'm seeing lots of ways for these devices to disturb you. Right. And, and so that's the I've- best way to live. Yeah. So as I pointed out, I've turned off most of the notifications because I don't want the Apple Watch to disturb me. I want it to disturb me only for those few things that are really essential. Um, On my iPhone, I get notifications for calls, text messages, VIP emails, Twitter replies. I also get notifications for a couple games I play, letterpress and words with friends. I don't get any other notifications. I've turned off most notifications because I just don't want them. I don't need them. They're not important. Um, my, my son gets a notification for every email and his Mac dings every time he gets an email. I get so much email that that would just be an annoyance. You'd so, be going dong every time it you'd would ding. Just, you'd go ding and dong and you'd be zigging and zagging. Okay, so now the phone is just ringing again. And this time, I'm just going to send it to voicemail. It's not an emergency, by the way. It's just someone who's calling to say hi, obviously. Um, it's not a bill collector. It's not, no. But... Okay, this is odd. Yeah, okay. I was looking on the phone and it didn't show that it had gone to voicemail. Whatever. So I was saying, yes, notifications. Too many notifications drive you crazy. I think the, the key is to make as few notifications as possible. All right, so this is the whole thing about Apple Watch, and that is the best way to set it up is to really be minimalist about it. 
turn off a lot of things and then bring them back on, see if you can live with them rather than having the cacophony effect. Yeah, I, phrase, I, we can call it the cacophony effect. We could call it that. Um, I think for some reason, a lot of people might like the idea of all these notifications that it makes them feel wanted or important or something like that. I'm not criticizing anyone who does this. Um, and also remember, I don't have a boss, so I don't need to answer every email or text message from my boss or people I work with. Um, you know, you and me as, as freelancers, we have a different lifestyle than people who may get a lot of important emails during the day about their work and they may need more notifications and they may use other tools, um, to work with people such as, um, I don't know, you know, all these enterprise, these sort of group things like Slack and all that. So they may be getting notifications for those things, but I don't have that problem. So I would rather have as few notifications as possible. So again, maybe Apple has erred in the side of doing too much and trying to be too flashy about the experience. Well, if you don't get the notifications, you won't know they're possible. I, I think that Apple's assuming that most people really don't delve into the settings too much. Um, I think you need to get all the notifications to know about them, um, or you need to be aware in advance that they're there and you can turn them off. Uh, that sort of makes sense to me. Now, this is a hard question to ask. Obviously, you would need an Apple Watch to cover it for your various writing projects. Mm -hmm. You've only had it for now three and a half hours. Yep. Based on your first impressions, if you didn't have to do this for your job, would you keep that Apple Watch? Uh, I would. And I think the main reason is um, I do like the idea of, of using a fitness tracker. I've used a Fitbit One for about two and a half years. And I like the idea of a watch that can be a little bit more efficient than something that just counts steps. I mean, I don't go to a gym or anything. My, my only exercise is walking. Um, but it is important to keep in shape. So w one of the main things I'm counting on with the Apple Watch is that it will prod me to be more active. Um, again, you and I, we have sedentary lifestyles. We don't move around that much, right? Um, in our work, we're sitting most of the time. Um, in fact, that reminds me, I haven't gotten a reminder to stand up yet because I've been standing up enough um, in the past three and a half hours. Uh, maybe by the end of this recording, I will have gotten one. So I'll have to, to mention that. But I think if only for the fitness tracker, if only for the fact, uh, I, I recall um, Matt Gemmel wrote an article a week or so ago saying that for him, the Apple Watch has liberated him from his iPhone. He doesn't feel he has to have his iPhone next to him all the time. And I think this is important. So my office is up on the first floor or second floor in U.S. terminology. If I go downstairs to do something, I always make sure to take my iPhone in case I get a call or I need to make a call or whatever. Now I can just leave it in my office and take the watch with me and not worry about it because I will get notifications for anything important phone calls, text messages. Um, and perhaps it can wean me off of the iPhone as well. That is the hint that I saw in this Wired Magazine interview with some of the people who were responsible for developing Apple Watch. Yeah. That there are fewer interruptions. And I realize there's hype there, you know, because you see somebody who works for Apple and he's occasionally glancing at his watch, but otherwise not looking at his iPhone. 
And of course, we're used to people looking at their smartphones. Everywhere you go, you go to a restaurant, even go to a mm-hmm. Starbucks, and you see people sitting there, and maybe they're having a coffee, maybe they're having a full meal, but every so often they'll glance at their smartphone. And we wonder if that's the best way to observe courtesy, or is that the new courtesy? We have Kirk McElhern, who is always courteous. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. Positive results from satisfied customers of Heart and Body Extract continue to pour into our website, hbextract.com. This is Al from New Jersey. One day I saw your ad for Heart and Body Extract, and it mentioned that it would help me with angina, so I decided to order. I figure I had nothing to lose. Heart and Body Extract supplies your body with everything it needs to balance itself and maintain optimal heart and circulatory health with no negative side effects. I took the formula three times a day as directed, and I kid you not, within four days, my angina pain was completely gone. Order HB Extract by calling 866-295-5305 or online at hbextract.com. That's 866-295-5305 or hbextract.com. I could not believe it actually stopped the pain. Heart and Body Extract actually works. This is just an amazing product. Even the numbness in my hands is completely gone. Heart and Body Extract for a long and healthy life. If you constantly feel run down and tired, your pH level might be low and your body could be full of toxins. If what you drink is not at a pH level of 8 or higher, you are inviting bacteria and acid to thrive in your body. But there is something you can do. Simply add 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops to your water to help your body rid itself of acidic waste, increase oxygen, and raise your pH balance to optimum levels. AlkaVision Plasma pH drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals in the world. Alkalizing the water you drink, ridding your body of acidic waste and toxins, and helping you regain energy and vibrant health. And studies show viruses, bacteria, and toxins cannot survive in an alkaline, high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. 
Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional installation. You control what you watch when you watch it. Record your favorite shows, pause and rewind live TV, even skip the commercials. Watch local channels too. At just $19.99, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. Say goodbye to the cable guy. Cut costs and get more. 1-855-905-MY-TV. 1-855-905-MY-TV. We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Tech Night Owl Live, please send it to news at technightowl.com. That's news at technightowl.com. If you'd like to discuss today's show with fellow Night Owls, visit our community forums at forum.technightowl.com. That's forum.technightowl.com. So what do you think about the social conventions? Does Apple Watch make a better fit? Well, I can't tell yet. It's a little bit too soon, but I, I do find it somewhat annoying when people spend a lot of time, when, when people are together and they spend a lot of time looking at their phones. See, I'm already thinking of the watch. Um, I try not to do it. We When we eat here, my partner and I, we don't have our phones unless we're expecting a call or something. Um, we both are people who use the phones for a lot of things, um, you know, reading the news and answering emails and stuff. Um, but when, as you say, you go to Starbucks and you see four people sitting around a table and all four of them looking at their phones, that's kind of impolite. It, it's, there aren't often things that are that urgent, I think. I, I think that's one of the problems is that people think that every one of these notifications has to be handled urgently. Um, I, I think, there are very few. So a text message, my partner is out and she sends me a text message to let me know when she's coming back. Need to know that. Um, someone calls because there's something that needs to be checked. So you need to know that. But very few emails are important enough that you have to act within five minutes. Now, and what I'm, did you do I'm before there guilty. was email? What did you do when there was no email? Exactly. No smartphone. <laughs> No cell phone of any kind, and people had to get in touch with you. What did you yeah. do? The world must have ended. Well, we had phones. We did call people. I, I must say, I'm, I'm a bit guilty of answering email very quickly, but the only reason I do that, if I'm in front of my computer and I get an email, and I can answer it um, quickly, I will. And you're probably familiar with this thing called Getting Things Done, which is abbreviated as GTD. Um, it's a system for managing your time and your tasks and all that. And I don't use it, but I read the book some years ago. And one of the things that I found very interesting was that the person who wrote this, he said, if you can dispose of something in less than two minutes, do it right away. So if I get an email with a question and I can answer immediately without having to research anything or write a long answer, I generally do it right away. I don't stop when I'm writing an article to check my email. I don't get notifications for email. 
But when I check my email, if I've got things I can answer quickly, I do. I'd rather get them out of the way than have a bunch of unread emails in my inbox. Okay, that goes to work. That works very well. Maybe yeah. we just need now, to change all our habits. That's the whole thing. We need to right. revise everything, revise the way we live. Yeah. Now, if I have an email that requires me to check a web page, um, send an invoice, look at my bank account or anything like that, I put it off. It's really the, the one or two minute emails that I answer very quickly. And my inbox currently has 37 messages, which for me is a lot, actually. Um, I, I'm generally no more than 20, but I've got a couple of new projects I'm working on, and there are lots of emails for each of these new projects. So, Okay. There you go with Apple Watch. Supposedly, again, production's at full tilt now. So I guess that means that more and more people will be getting their Apple Watch faster. And maybe Apple will give us a hint what actual sales are. We don't know yet. We'll I don't think we're going to get. I don't think we're going to get sales numbers. Um, I, that would surprise me. You really think that Apple is going to keep that on the QT? I, I don't think it's very interesting for them to give us numbers. Uh. If they're not very positive, you know, I'm, I'm thinking more kind of, um, you know, like Amazon has still never, ever given numbers about the Kindle. I don't think Apple's going to be as um, secretive as Amazon is regarding the Kindle, but I think they're going to wait a while. I, I, think th I think there are a couple of issues with the Apple Watch. First, it's not available. Um, if you order one today, most models you won't get until July. Second, this is a slow burner. It's going to take a while for people to get used to the idea of a smartwatch because every smartwatch that's come before has been radically different and not very good, to be honest. I had a Pebble for a couple of days, and it was horrid. Um, I've you didn't seen, like the Pebble. I know some people do. Yeah, I understand that some people do. And, and I know some people that use more complicated watch-slash-fitness trackers. Like my son has a Nike Plus thing with gps and people use a garmin um and and that's a different device it it's a single use device it's for tracking runs and, and all that um but i think the apple watch is going to be a slow burner i think the the real test is going to be the christmas quarter um which is obviously why they wanted to launch it in the spring to give it enough time to get sort of building up momentum um if people buy a lot of them in the cr christmas quarter then it'll stick if they don't um I don't want to say that Apple's got a lemon on their hands or a failure on their hands, um, but if people adopt it for Christmas, that's when we'll know that it's going to take off. It's all going to be about the holidays. This is the kind of purchase that people make of the holidays then. Well, it, it's a big purchase for a lot of people. Um, I actually bought the cheapest model. I bought the sport model, um, the aluminum one. Um, I, I must say, so when I went to try this, try on the watch back in, what was it, April, um, I tried on both the – I have the black sport model with the black band. I tried this on and I tried the stainless steel model on. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this one cost 339 pounds and the stainless steel was 519. I saw no reason to spend that much more for the stainless steel watch. Um, and it felt a lot heavier on my wrist. So I definitely don't regret my choice. But even at 339 pounds, that's half the price of an iPhone. And remember, you need an iPhone with it. So if you don't have an iPhone 5 or later, um, then you've got to get yourself a new iPhone at the same time. So this can be an expensive proposition for a lot of people. If you're satisfied with the sport watch 
And also, if you're satisfied with the smaller, the 38 millimeter, if, you know, as many women are going to be uh, opting for that, then it's cheaper. Um, but if you want to get like the stainless steel with the link bracelet, what is it, $1,100 or something? That's really expensive. Oh, yeah, that's a little bit too much. I think if I get an Apple Watch, I might want to save for the stainless steel model. I don't know why, but I might. I, I think also, don't forget that this is version one, and it's probably best to go cheap for version one and wait for version two. My guess is that Apple's not going to update this every year. Maybe next year they'll have new colors or new bands or something, um, and we'll see an update every two years for the Apple Watch. So I would think that for the first one, if you're really not sure if you're going to like it or want to use it, go for the Sport Watch. It's cheaper. Um, and just plan ahead that when the next one comes out, you buy the stainless steel at that point. But even that, if, you, if you're spending, what is it, $600 for the stainless steel watch, I think, in the States, would you spend that much for a normal watch? If you did, it, it would be a normal watch that you're using for 10 years or more. I think it's still a lot of money for what it is. So that would be the big issue there. And that's an interesting thing you came up with here, that you don't think Apple's going to update this thing every single year. And that's kind of unusual for Apple. Um, it is, but they don't really update the iPad every year either. The, it's only the iPhone that is the device that is really on an annual update path, right? We have Kirk McElhern with us. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> leading the way for the nation compelling talk for every political persuasion we are gcn graphic converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us it does not use any database you get full control of all your files want to view the images of a folder drag it into graphic converter and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files you could use it for slideshows you could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners need to do some image editing you can do that too in graphic converter also print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Hi, this is Steve Sanchez, and based on a recent study, it was found that 57 million Americans had legal issues over the last 12 months, but only 60% of those studied sought out the services of a lawyer. Why? In a nutshell, affordability. While my friends at Legal Shield have created a solution that can help you not if, but when you need an attorney. For as little as $17 per month, Legal Shield will provide you unlimited access to qualified attorneys at an accomplished law firm for advice and counsel on legal issues no matter how serious or trivial. 
Legal. For over 40 years and with 1.4 million families across North America, Legal Shield can help you, the loyal GCN listener. Representatives are standing by now to answer your questions, so call them now at 1-855-340-SAVE. That's 1-855-340-7283 or visit them at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Results will vary from case to case. Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-2237 for the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As Good As Gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. Did you know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl Live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. Kirk McElhern joins us for two more segments on the Tech Night Owl Live, and you were about to say something about the upgrade cycle for the iPhone. You say it's carrier-driven. Yeah, I'm sure it's carrier-driven because the carriers want to upgrade phones for um, customer contracts, which are generally 12 months. Um, And I'm assuming that the fall is the best time of year because people maybe are more likely to to buy a new phone for the Christmas season. Um, If you remember back in the day, the iPod used to be updated every year in September. For many years, there was an an Apple media event in September where they would introduce new iPod models. And at the same time, sometimes a new version of iTunes or some new iTunes store features. That shifted with the iPhone to it's now October, sort of. And there is the logic for that because it is a device that people are going to renew regularly. Whereas for Macs, if you look at the schedule, you'll see none of the Macs follow the same sort of schedule. Um, how long before the Mac, when was the last Mac mini update? Was it three years? 
Well, it was in 2012 and then 2014. Okay. The iMac wasn't updated a year after the previous iMac. Well, Um, in 2014, the only real update to the iMac was the 5K model. Right. So there was one model that was added, but it wasn't an upgrade. I think they did maybe increase RAM or, or lower prices or something across the line. But it's not the kind of major upgrade where it's a new device. And also remember that um, new iPhones are tied to new versions of iOS. There's a much tighter integration between the operating system and the phone than there is between the computer and Mac OS X. So now the issue also to consider is the fact that Intel has been late in its new chips, the Broadwell chips, the first ones were maybe a year late. And that's what's in the MacBook Air and the new 13-inch MacBook Pro with Retina display. The reason you don't have the 15-inch version is because those chips are not shipping till maybe July. So a lot of the delay in upgrading Macs is not because Apple's schedule is more varied. It's because Intel's schedule has been off. Yeah, and and so on the desktop, they depend more on other manufacturers. They make the chips for the iPhone and the iPad themselves, but not for the desktop computers. So they can control the schedule more tightly for the iPhone and the iPad, whereas they can't do that for the desktop. And the thing to also remember, too, moving to this new Broadwell chip, in terms of performance, it's only slightly faster. It's more about smaller die, using power more efficiently, and maybe the graphics are a tad better. But if you otherwise took the previous version of the MacBook Air and the new version, it's not so different that you'd notice it without a benchmarking app. Yeah, and we haven't seen that kind of sort of power bump in in any sort of computer, be it a desktop or a laptop, in years now. Back in the day when they went to multi-core or the, when they went from two-core to four-core, we had big differences. But now it's a tiny incremental difference. And let, let's be honest, it, it, these differences don't affect very many people. Let me you give you an example long- of that about performance, and I'll tell you what. So Apple sent me an iMac with 5K Retina display with core i5 processor. It's an i7 if you go for the faster processor. I had a 2009 iMac, 2.8 gigahertz i7. Okay? Now... On that computer, I work with Otherworld Computing to put in a terabyte solid-state drive, okay? That was all the difference, pretty much. In terms of doing the things I do, recording, encoding MP3 files and things like that, some video encoding, the performance difference was somewhat noticeable, much more measurable, but between the 2009 iMac and the 2014 iMac, not a drastic difference. It was mostly, almost completely, about using a solid-state drive on the old model and the hybrid fusion drive on the new one. Well, and it's also about the display, the quality of the retina display. All right, sure, it goes without saying. But the, the performance itself isn't affected. Now, what's interesting is that retina display requires a much more competent um, graphics card and probably a little bit more RAM behind it as well. Um, so... The fact that there isn't a hit on on the performance, I think, is already a good thing. Remember, you've multiplied the number of pixels by four. And even then, frankly speaking, there are areas in some older apps where you could see the thing hiccup a little bit. I mean, I did a lot of work when I had the iMac here to see that. 
But I'm thinking here for somebody who has not upgraded their Mac in a few years, switching to a solid state drive is a lot the- cheaper alternative to getting a lot more performance than buying a new Mac. Now, eventually, you're going to have to if you want to keep up to date with operating systems, because eventually, Apple is going to say, we will not support this model anymore. Yeah, going to an SSD is the single best thing you can do today. The second best thing is to add more RAM if you don't have a lot. Um, I put 24 gigabytes into my 5K iMac, and I'm very happy with it. Um, I would have been, I think I had 16 in my previous Mac. I, I have eight in my laptop. Considering I don't do a lot of work on the laptop, that's fine. But, you know, RAM is cheap and, you know, put as much RAM as you can afford and go for the SSD. And you'll be able to upgrade an old Mac and make it a whole lot faster. Now, you can't put an SSD, well, you can put an SSD in a laptop, but it's not easy. It depends on the model. And, and I think you generally need to send it off to places like OWC, right? And have them put it in. Let me give you the experience here. Now, with an iMac, the older models used magnets to hold the screen onto the chassis. New ones use adhesive tape, which is a bear to do, and I would have a service person do it. Some of the newest Mac portables have soldered solid-state drives, so you can't do anything unless you actually have someone who does component-level repair. It's not worth it. But where you put a solid-state drive, say, in a 2010 17-inch MacBook Pro, that's easy. It's very easy. You've got 10 tiny little screws that you have to remove and not lose. But other than that, the process takes 10 minutes to pull right. out the old drive, unscrew a couple of things in doing that, put in the new drive, close it up. It's even faster to change the RAM. So on the 2010 MacBook Pro, I've got 8 gigabytes of memory, a 500 gigabyte solid-state drive, and it's fast enough for me. It's even faster than today's MacBook Air. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But it's it- heavy. Yeah. And so there are two things to consider if you're upgrading a Mac. The first is if you don't have a retina display and you want one, um, then you really have to go for the retina. I mean, I'm spoiled with retina displays. Um, I, I, you know, had one on a, on a laptop for a couple of years before the iMac came along and I could never go back. Um, but the second thing is, yeah, it's the speed that you'd get from an SSD and the, the sort of comfort and flexibility you get from having more RAM. Um, the two actually go together because, uh, don't forget that Macs always write virtual memory to disk, and an SSD makes it faster to write to disk, but more RAM means that there's less virtual memory being written at all. So the combination of the two um, definitely give you a nice speed bump. Well, no, a, a performance bump. Speed bump isn't the right word. Performance bump. It's very interesting to see a computer that took three minutes to start up from scratch because I'm loading six apps and now take 35 seconds. Yep. My MacBook Pro literally boots in less than 10 seconds. My iMac takes a little bit longer, Um, but the MacBook Pro is is the fastest. It's quite impressive. But on my iMac, I have a lot of apps that, that I launch when I log in, so that slows down the process. Even before it gets to the login screen, there's things going on. Um, and it slows it down. Whereas on the MacBook Pro, it's literally instantaneous. It's just, it's amazing. And, you know, I remember the days, um, there were many, I guess we're going back almost 20 years now. I was a beta tester for Nicest Writer, the word processor. And I remember they were working hard to get the launch time under 60 seconds for the app. Um, I remember when you'd reboot a Mac, it would take 
what, three, four, five minutes to actually start up completely um, with old, old hard disks that we had. And obviously the RAM was slower and a lot of things need to get rid into RAM. Let's do this break and then we'll break something. Kirk McElhern's here. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live. The nation's largest independently owned and operated talk radio network. The Genesis Communications Network. GCN. Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors, head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount For all our listeners, 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code GENE when you check out. We live in a complicated society. Stressful issues are always popping up. Have you ever been treated unfairly by someone? Have you ever been overcharged for a repair? Have you ever signed a contract or a document worried about identity theft? How many times have you been in those unique situations where you just wanted to call an attorney to find out if you're right or wrong or what your legal rights are? But every time you think about calling an attorney, what do you think about first? That's right. Who do you call and how much will it cost? Our friends at Legal Shield have found a solution. With a nationwide network of 6,900 attorneys who average 19 years of experience, Legal Shield's law firms take over 40,000 calls per week helping their members. For less than $20 per month, you can have access to Legal Shield on everything from the trivial to the traumatic. Let Legal Shield stand up for your rights at lsprotection.com. That's lsprotection.com. Or call 855-340-SAVE. 855-340-7283. Results will vary from case to case. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. 1-855-905-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. Say goodbye to the cable guy. And get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-855-905-MY-TV. Sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and there's no equipment to buy. You get free HD TV upgrade, a free DVR upgrade, and free professional and installation you control what you watch when you watch it record your favorite shows pause and rewind live tv even skip the commercials watch local channels too at just 19.99 what are you waiting for pull out your major credit or debit card call 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV say goodbye to the cable guy cut costs and get more 1-855-905-MY-TV 1-855-905-MY-TV The Genesis Communications Network is one of America's premier broadcasters of captivating talk radio. We thank you for listening. Now, just imagine, there are thousands of people who are just as passionate about radio as you are. But what you may not realize is how easy and affordable it is to advertise with us. Radio commercials for your business could be heard on hundreds of radio stations across the U.S. every day. 
We can help you by creating an effective radio advertising campaign for your company. From script writing to producing your commercial, just like the one you're listening to right now. No other network provides the level of customer service we do. When it comes to radio advertising, we are your one-stop shop. And no matter how big or small your business is, we can help. Email us at advertise at GCNlive.com and an experienced advertising executive will help you take the first step towards driving more customers to your business or website. Advertise at GCNlive.com. Easy, affordable, effective. You're listening to the Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next. So I think the biggest performance boost has been faster and faster solid-state drives. They're getting cheaper. They're getting almost affordable. And I think in a year or two, if you can get a terabyte solid-state drive, right now I think you get them for like $450 or $500. It'll get down below $200, and I think it's going to be a pretty good sweet spot, especially if Apple stops charging you all sorts of amazingly high prices. We have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy. We talked about his brand-new Apple Watch, which is still working now that he's had it for four hours and counting. We were talking about actually upgrading old Macs and make them really speedy again so you don't have to get rid of them and you can save lots of money. Now, there's an article, and we hardly believe that he even writes for them much anymore, but he does as a contributor. Jason Snell, who used to be the, the head over at Macworld, and he occasionally now writes... As a contributing writer, Susie Oaks is the current editor, and he has a piece here recommending that we give up the name OS X and go back to Mac OS. And one of the reasons he cites is the confusion, like in 2016, we'll have OS X and iOS X, and that's going to cause a branding problem. Wouldn't it be nice for Apple to go back to Mac OS to basically observe tradition? What do you think? I think Jason raised a very interesting point there, and something that I was actually wondering about the other day is, will iTunes go to 13? We're at iTunes 12 now, and we're going to see an iTunes 13 at some point, or we're going to see another version of iTunes at some point. Will Apple choose iTunes 13 as the number for iTunes, or will they change something somehow? You know, there's this odd superstition in the States that 13 is an unlucky number, Um it's not. Will they decide? It's not well, an unlucky number. What do you mean? You, you don't. You don't hear that over here. You have buildings with thirteenth floors over here. Um, so yeah, I was wondering about that. I kind of, you know, Windows. What did they say that Windows ten will be the last version of Windows? That it will just be incremental versions afterwards. This means you're still going to have to have a subversion because you've got to identify it when you have specifications and and you know an app requires a certain version of software. I think when we got to Mac OS 10, 10.10, we already jumped the shark. I'd really like to see a change, and I, I definitely agree with um, what Jason has said, that they could drop the 10 from the name. It's been a, a long enough time since Mac OS. And it's the same with iOS. We're going to hit iOS 9 this year, presumably. How how far will they go before they change something? I, I think Chrome is up, or Firefox is up to version 96 now. If you remember, they used to have slow version changes, and they decided that every single update would get a new full version number change. Okay, I'm using 
the beta branch of Google Chrome. Is it version 43 plus something or other? 43. Yeah. Now, with Firefox, let's just bring up Firefox. Let's really be really a proper investigative journalist on this. It's version 38. Yeah. But I'm on the beta update channel. Yep. It's now applying an update. So once the update is applied, I will relaunch it and see what version it socks me with here. So now it's launching for a second time, having done that update. And now we have Firefox. And we're going to look and see what version number we have for it. And it's not giving me a version number. It's not launching right. So evidently that upgrade was wrong. So we have to try it for this. We're doing this live, everyone. We are doing this live. And live from Arizona, it is 38.0.5. Okay? Because that's because you're in the beta, right? You're in the beta branch. So you're going to get the minor updates and not the full version updates. So, yeah. Whereas Safari, I think it's up to 8.0.6. And there's an 8.0.7 that's being beta tested right now. So Apple observes proper version numbers. But what they'll do with this OS X stuff and this iOS, once they start getting into the double digits, it's got to be something more about marketing. They can't do the same thing every year, can they? You mean changing the version numbers every year? Yes. If they're going to change the version numbers, and I think Apple is still going to have formal updates, not to what Microsoft is with this continuous upgrading. They're going to do it for branding and for marketing, even if the operating systems are free. Yeah, OS X is a brand, so it's kind of hard. It's like, you know, we always talk about everything I write about iTunes, and one of the big complaints that people have is this sort of semantic complaint that iTunes is no longer just about music, so they should change the name or they should rip the app apart. It's a pretty dim view of reality to suggest that the app should be split because it covers things that aren't in tunes. Um, the brand is iTunes, and the brand has been iTunes from the beginning, and, and there's been a slow accretion of things onto the iTunes brand with the iTunes store and different types of content. But that brand's going to be around for a long time. If they start selling holographic films, it's still going to be called iTunes. Imagine holographic tunes. Last thing here, because we only have a few moments left. A report the other day indicates that Warner Music is saying that they are making more money now from music streaming than from downloading individual tracks or albums. So has the world changed that much? Well, it says one of two things. It says either they're making more money from streaming or they're making less money from download. Downloads are going down. So what's happening is that the two are converging. It's not that the download level was constant and that all of a sudden streaming took over. It's that downloads are going down and streaming's going up. It's, it's a change. It's a change in the way people consume music. You know, all the rumors are pointing to Apple bringing out their streaming music service in June, um, announcing it at WWDC. WWDC is the Worldwide Developer Conference, and it's generally not the place that Apple would announce something like that. But I think they will because they want to get the streaming service out for summer. This is when people are outdoors and they're listening to music on mobile devices. It's not at the end of the year that you want to start attracting people to a streaming service. It's it's when they're going to be outdoors and, and hopefully on vacation and maybe more likely to listen to music than, say, around Christmas time. So it, it'll be interesting to see what Apple does. It'll be interesting to see how this affects iTunes in general. Downloads have been going down a great deal. 
Um, Is that because maybe the current albums are lousy? Yeah, I don't believe that. People always pull that one out. Oh, there's only two good songs out of 10 on an album. But my feeling is that 80% of people use music as wallpaper. They listen to the radio or they listen to a streaming radio thing like Pandora or iTunes Radio or the Spotify radio stations. Or they look for the latest hits that they want to listen to. Um, I don't think these are people who bought albums in the past anyway. Um, Why are people buying fewer albums one thing that everyone forgets is is the baby boom de- demographic. You know, you and I, we're in a period where there was an expansion of people with disposable income. And as people get older, they buy less music. This is proven. Generally, what happens is when they get their first child, they buy less music. But as they get older, they buy less as well. And when I the think- children maybe buy those albums, but maybe they don't. They just use streaming music. Listen, we're out of time, and this is the kind of thing that we can talk about for a long time. Kirk McElhern, where do we find more of the stuff you do? You can find me on my website, Kirkville. It's at McElhern.com. That's www.mcelhear.com. And you can find me on Macworld, where I write a lot about iTunes and where I'm the iTunes guy. And that's a title that's conferred with a special degree. It is. I, it's it's kind of like a doctorate, but I don't get the same abbreviation. I didn't say a degree of what? <laughs> You can find us on Twitter. We're known as Tech Night Owl. Look for Tech Night Owl on Twitter. Check out our premium service where you get the ad-free, higher-resolution copy of the show, Tech Night Owl Plus at plus.technightowl.com, P-L-U-S.technightowl.com. It's a modest subscription rate. You can subscribe for a year, month to month, if you'd like to do it that way, or for five years, as some of you have done. That's, of course, plus.technightowl.com. And then we have another radio show about UFOs and things that go bump in the night. And we're going to talk about this week on the Paracast, something I'm starting to call Slidegate, about this crazy story that came out recently about the alleged Roswell slides. And then we've got a guy, an engineer who worked in the aerospace industry, a guy named Ron Regeer, who is writing a book with the working title, Another Damn Book About Roswell. Do we need one? Paracast.com. That's Paracast.com. Can't wait for the aliens to land and give it all up. I'm not serious. I'm serious to say on the Tech Night Out Live, Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me once again, Gene. The Tech Night Out Live is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. We'll be back next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.